Hello and welcome to Endgame Heroes, the weekly podcast where a couple of best friends talk about movies, TVs, video games, and stuff. I'm your host, Jack, joined as always by my co-host and best friend, Kyle. Hello, hello. Good to be back. You know, we've got uh, a couple of recording delays this week, but uh, we are back at it. So uh, anyone that is listening, we will stay very strong, making sure that we get at least one episode out a week uh, as we kind of like work out getting uh, a more structured or stable release schedule but you know people get sick people have you know doctor's visits things like that so bear with us we've still got one out for you uh so today is the big one for a lot of people our main topic today is going to be the last of us hbo tv show uh it is just wrapped up and we're going to talk about it uh but first we've got a little bit of housekeeping to go over Uh, Sadly, actually, just breaking news, um, just a few minutes before we started recording today, Lance Reddick has reportedly passed away. Um, He is an actor probably most notably known for his character in the John Wick franchise as of recently. Uh, He was also a big character in The Wire, which is one of the best like cop drama shows ever. Um, He also voice acts Zavala, who is a pretty important character in Destiny, which obviously is a a pretty big one for me and our community as well. Um, And it is very sad. He was 60. We don't know exactly what happened to him yet, but uh, our, our hearts go out to anyone affected by this, his friends, his family, loved ones. Um, Definitely too soon. And uh, he will definitely be missed. Yeah, that was uh, really shocking. I opened up the feed right before we you know, hopped on here and I saw that I immediately texted you I'm like, oh, oh, shit, here we go. Like, this is awful. You know, he's yeah. only 60, like you said, and, you know, no signs of anything wrong with him. Similar to like Chadwick Boseman that just came out of nowhere, which obviously mm-hmm. you know, he had cancer. We didn't know. So I don't, I'm not sure what we'll find out what happened to, to Lance Reddick here. But, you know, we, we hear his voice on a daily basis, typically now you know, with us playing Destiny and like. I grew up watching shows like Fringe, which he was on and was great. So mm-hmm. he will definitely be missed. It's very sad to hear. Yeah, for sure. It's I'm still honestly processing it. Like it doesn't really feel real because um, TMZ is, I think, the the big news source that has reported on this so far. And you know, like sometimes they get things wrong. Typically, it's it's pretty rare that you know the the news of someone's uh, passing. Uh, that being false doesn't happen too often. So this is most likely the the scoop, but it, it's definitely sad. You know, the, I can think of a couple of examples where someone reported that somebody had passed and then they tweeted out. It's like, no, I'm I'm still alive and kicking. But, uh, you know, so like that's a, a part of me is still hoping for that. But, you know, eventually I, I imagine we'll see some sort of a, an official press release or something yeah. along those lines soon by his agency or family. Um, yeah. I did see some tweets right before we went up here that uh, for destiny, some guardians were in the tower near Zavala all saluting him off. It was honestly pretty sad. You know, he's a such yeah. a monumental character. He's the, the commander in that game. So we follow him and that voice is so iconic. I can't see how they would replace that. Yeah. I, I don't think they, I don't think they can replace him. Honestly, they probably just have him go silent from now on. Um, I I don't know if they would really be able to write the character off, like kill him in game, just because you know, as a live service game, 
you know, like it's still weird whenever you load up a strike and you get like Cade going, you know, with his banter and it's like he's been dead for like, you know, Five he's years, been dead, I think, longer than he hasn't been in yeah. like the history of the franchise at this point. Um, so like it, it for them to do that, you know, it's so sad, but he's just such a key pivotal character. You know, I'd, I'd imagine they probably just shift a lot of the, the voice acting towards Ikora mm-hmm. and just, you know, have him there. But, um, you know, w- whatever they do, I'm, I'm definitely hopeful that Bungie will um, do whatever is best in, in this scenario. You know, it's it's obviously it's not something you can plan for. You know, we've talked about this with like Chadwick's passing, mm-hmm. um, how it just yeah came out of left field. I mean, like, you can't prepare for that. So like it's just how you adapt and like you know hopefully pay tribute or homage to that person um with respect and uh yeah it's um moving on to our next story uh not as much of a downer we (laughs) also had the oscars that happened this weekend um and we're not going to go through everything i don't think you even watched them i watched them like on the bookends i watched the beginning portion of it and then i watched the last of us finale and then i came back to the rest of the oscars Mm -hmm. um but i still saw the really big ones um notable things brendan fraser won best actor for the whale love to see it brendan fraser very near and dear to my heart the internet roots for him and i'm a part of that get a great Um, speech very great speech. Yeah, you could tell it it, it meant the world. And um, also a big one are uh, Michelle Yeoh and Ki-Hui Kwan, who won Best Actress and Best Supporting Actor uh, for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Um, it's, it, you know, the, we've seen some stats about it. it. Asians and Asian Americans typically do not win awards at this level, uh, which yes. is... Uh, both sad, but also it's it's there's some comfort here because we're starting to get recognition. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, let me tell you that movie because it it swept. You know we've got best actress, best supporting actor, best supporting actress with Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, best director with the Daniels, both Quan and Schneider, and best original screenplay. Uh, what else did they win? I'm pretty sure they got best editing and of course best picture overall. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they swept really the only way. other. They did, yeah, and it it, it was like they they won seven out of eleven awards, like it was insane. Uh, I think the only other ones that are like really notable notable would be we have Pinocchio uh, costume design. Yeah, Pinocchio won uh, for Guillermo del Toro specifically, not the Disney Plus one, uh, but Guillermo del Toro's Netflix's Pinocchio won best animated feature. He had a lovely speech. Uh, best costume design for Black Panther Wakanda Forever, which I'm pretty sure they won that as well for the first one, which makes sense because their costumes were killing it. Especially in this um, one, too, with like the funeral and everything, how they had all the white yeah. colors and it was yeah. the costumes were handled very, very well. I, that's very well deserved. For sure. And then um, best documentary Navalny, which is a really good one. I managed to watch that. I believe that's on HBO Max. It's streaming now. So if you want to watch a documentary about uh, some of the shady things that go on in Russia, then uh, it's it's pretty good, and I can attest to that. Um, but yeah, it's it, not, a lot of things kind of got snubbed here. But like honestly, when you compare them to like the things that won, like all of these movies were great. And you know, sometimes it just you know the chips fall where it's it's just really unfortunate if you release something in the same year as 
something that just you know goes on to be really groundbreaking and just take over a conversation the where the way that everything everywhere did this year um and uh yeah yeah, i think moving on michelle (laughs) yo um so second woman of color ever to win best actress um and first asian woman ever to win so i mean those are two stats that are awesome now but also sad for the, the past and I think, like you said, we're at a tipping point now where that's, you'll start seeing more and more of that, especially with how successful this movie was, how accepting the Academy was for it. Like you could see in like all the pressers and behind the scenes, all the actors and directors talking to the Daniels and to Michelle Yeoh, like they were all so excited and so happy for them. It was great. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, yeah, there's plenty of anecdotes. Like whenever Harrison Ford uh, was the one that read the, uh, best picture and they all got up there and you see uh Kihei Kwan hug him you know because uh, he got his start as um what was his name short round in um Indiana Jones 2 he was the little Asian boy that helped uh Indiana Jones like throughout that movie like that's where he got his start in acting and um you know shortly after that franchise really not shortly but you know soon after that franchise um, he had a lot of problems like getting work as an actor in America. He almost he had basically given up on acting as a whole. And then this movie came along and, you know, he bought into the vision and like he just won best supporting actor for it, um, which is, you know, one super heartwarming and uplifting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, Michelle Yeoh's best actress speech, you know, how she talks about how you don't see people that look like her win those types of awards. Um, And especially she added um, for a woman that, you know, is like quote, like past her prime, Mm -hmm. uh, which does really, it it speaks volumes for anyone watching that can sympathize, empathize, or, you know, see themselves in any way, shape or form with her on screen. You know, that is something that, uh, I'm never going to knock any sort of diversity or representation, especially with Michelle Yeoh, like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, like so many like just banger roles. And like she's self-taught for her martial arts, too. She didn't even like classically study, which is insane. Um, But to see her get that recognition, that's that's really big. And like you could tell that everyone that won that night, uh, you know, they they were just all on cloud nine. And I'm very glad to say that we didn't have any crazy things that happened you know no one was assaulted (laughs) and then congratulated for it no one you know read the wrong envelope or went up on stage to thank bill clinton like none of these things happened so you know it was it was just a normal awards night kimmel i think did a pretty good job for it most of his stuff landed it's about what you'd expect from it and uh yeah i think we could move on to our next topic we got a couple of movie reviews that have started dropping as of this recording. Uh, so the first one that's upcoming and probably one of the bigger ones, just with sort of our wheelhouse for the things that we talk about, uh, we've got Shazam Fury of the Gods. That is actually coming out. Uh, that's out today, the 17th now. So uh, you could see that this weekend. It is currently sitting at a 53% on Rotten Tomatoes for the critic score. Um, Audiences, as of right now, are still liking it. It's sitting somewhere at about an 84%. Uh, Are you going to see this movie? 
style. I want to. I love the first Shazam. I think the first Shazam movie is probably my favorite DCEU movie out of all of them. I think the ending was a little, you know, normal comic booky with like the shadow mm-hmm. monsters and stuff. But I thought Zachary Levi killed it. The, the kids killed it. You know, the, the adult kids as well when they transform were awesome. So I, I'm excited for the movie. James Gunn had me really excited before the movie as well because he was saying how good he or how much he liked it. And uh, the, it started off earlier in the week at like a 73, which was still mm-hmm. certified fresh. But as the week has gone, it's kind of fallen. And uh, it, it's kind of sad to see, you know, this be closer to that Ant-Man Quantumania level um, just because I was excited for it. And I, I hope that Zachary Levi gets you know a chance to stick around in this new James Gunn world. But I, uh, I know I think you mentioned you are planning on seeing it, is it this weekend or next week. Yeah, so I will be seeing it this Sunday, so a day or two after this goes live. Um, Also, for reference, um, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, you know, it's been a few weeks now. It is sitting at a 47 and an 83 on Rotten Tomatoes to give you an idea for where that falls. So it it is actually very close in terms of ratings. Now, obviously, we're talking, you know, a couple weeks in for Ant-Man versus literally day one to two for Shazam. So those numbers can definitely change, but it definitely gives you some insight for how it's probably going to go. And um, similar to you, I really liked the first Shazam movie. Like it's, it probably is my favorite out of the DC EU aside from probably, (laughs) yeah, like the Schneider verse aside from the suicide squad. Are we counting the suicide squad as DC EU? No, that like, was gun. So it's like, uh... even when the movie came out, they were cagey about it. Like, oh, hey, we have some characters who are carrying over like Harley, but like maybe it's a different just multiverse version of her. They were never, you know, mm-hmm. they're coy about it. So I wouldn't count it. I think it's more likely it's going to be in this new DCU because of Peacemaker mainly, you know, because it's directly True. tied to all that. Yeah, that's that's valid. Yes. But uh, yeah. So like. Yeah, I guess then out of like the sort of the Schneiderverse umbrella, um, I really enjoyed the first Shazam movie. I thought it was a breath of fresh air whenever it came out. Uh, I Yeah, the characters were great. The chemistry that they all had with each other, both the young actors and the older actors, I thought were really well done. Um, especially, you know, I forget his name, but the the main character that played Billy Batson and then Zachary Levi as Shazam, uh, you could tell that they worked together a lot to like keep that same personality within those two separate bodies. Yeah. Um, and, y- you know, obviously, yeah, you know, you've got like your basic MacGuffins and superhero tropes that were in the movie. But again, it was fresh and the DC needs fresh. They just, they needed wins and they got one with Shazam, which was a, a great time. And, yeah. It's sad to see these reviews. I'm holding out judgment until I go see it this weekend. It is. We'll we'll see about that. Maybe if you have the chance to go see it, we'll have like a light spoiler talk next week. But um, another big one, I think the last big review that we'll talk about before we jump into the meat of today is uh, we've got the reviews for John Wick Chapter 4 that are coming out now as well. That drops next weekend, the 24th. Um, but we've got critic reviews that are starting to come in and it is sitting at a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. And um, as you spoke about earlier, it also scored a perfect 10 out of 10 on IGN. Um, so it's it's being received very positively so far, which uh, is fantastic because, you know, I've, I've harped on this so many times now that 
the John Wick franchise has so far, at least, proven to be one of the best action uh, franchises that we've gotten in our generation. Yeah. You know, just the love and care that the directors put into it, that Keanu puts into it, that all of the characters put into it. Um, I'm especially looking forward to this one um, now because it's also uh, potentially the last time we'll see Lance Reddick on screen in, you know, a big project like this on uh, on the movies. Um, but also because this is going to be our introduction, we're getting uh, Donnie Yen in this movie, um, mm. who's most famously known for the Ip Man movies, um, like the like the main four. There was also a documentary type version with someone else. Uh, but the Ip Man movies slap. Uh, Donnie Yen is a fantastic martial artist. And uh, if you watch those movies, then you know what I'm talking about whenever... I say that like his fight choreographies are something to behold. So to, the fact that we're getting him in this movie uh, is very, very exciting. He was in Star Wars too, wasn't he? Rogue One. Yes. Yeah. He was uh, yeah. the the forces with me guy. Yeah. And like, yeah, he, uh, yeah. Blind guy being guided by the force with a stick, man. He took out some stormtroopers. That um, was so very one of the cool. That scene was probably the coolest scene in the entire movie, which is shocking. So because you have Rogue One, you know, like the Vader scene, sure, is great. But that the, I am one with the Force, the Force is one with, with me, with a blind guy walking through a battlefield and just murking fools. Like, that was awesome. Come on. Yeah, that was sick. And Rogue One is probably, I would probably say Rogue One might be my favorite Star Wars movie. Just in terms of, like, overall, like, quality and in terms of, like, action and... Uh, for them to, you know, like tied together the originals and the prequels and do it in a way that like it, it wasn't it didn't feel like a cash grab, I thought was really cool. And yeah, you know, it was, it was a great movie. But moving on, John Wick Chapter four, probably going to want to go see that yep. uh, rated R. So don't bring your small children. Yeah, uh, you never know what's going to happen in a John Wick movie. Yeah, yeah, it's uh yeah, the the only thing that I, I can say about that is that uh, people get unalived pretty often, so <laughs> something to keep in mind. Yeah. Uh, but sure. moving on, our main topic for the week, we have teased you long enough. The Last of Us TV show has wrapped, and now we are going to talk about it. Yeah. Where do we want to start? Well, let's start off with just a simple, you know, out of ten review for each of us. What would you give season one of The Last of Us? Last of Us season one on HBO Max. I think, honestly, really the only score that you can give it is just straight up a 10 out of 10 as a whole. Um, obviously, you know, each episode, there is definitely a conversation that you can have. But as a whole, if you're just judging it from start to finish... Um, it is as close to a masterpiece in the media of storytelling as you get. And I do not give tens out lightly. Uh, you have to be very close to perfect or just something that really breaks the mold or like changes how we perceive something in order to get a, a perfect score out of me. Because, you know, if it's going to be a perfect score, then it has to be something that is truly noteworthy to write home about. Uh, what about you? So if we were on a 20 point scale, I would give it okay. a 9.5. Um, that being said, I've mentioned this before. The last of us is very special to me. It is one of my favorite games, if not my favorite game of all time. And mm -hmm. 
I have to give it a nine on a 10 point scale. Um, I, w- I would love to give it to 10. There were a couple things that, you know, I thought could have been a little better. Uh, we'll get to it when we have our, our episode breakdowns, but the Kathleen character really brought it down for me. I thought episode okay. four, episode four overall kind of lowered it a little bit. And then in the finale, um, again, no spoilers for the finale or anything, but uh, there was a couple things that would have changed or extended on a little bit. So very small gripes. And that's why I think really in my heart of hearts, it's very close to that 10, but I can't mm-hmm. quite give it. I think if they had a little bit more budget, um, I think they use their budget very appropriately because it is a very well made show, but because it was a season one of a video game property, they didn't get as much money as they will for season two. Now I expect season two to be a 11 out of 10, you know, because mm-hmm. they know what they Do have. You, though? you know, <laughs> I, I love Last of Us Part Two as well. I know some people okay. don't like it because of you know what happens in it. I I love Last of Us Part Two. Um, I do have a review from my wife as well that she wanted me to throw in because uh, yeah, cool. I, I mentioned it before. She uh, she's not the biggest video game fan. She'll play here and there. Um, and when I was playing Last of Us Part Two, she came in halfway through and only saw the back half of that game, which is with a totally different character, not Ellie. Mm-hmm. So she had the impression that she didn't like Ellie. And she didn't know Joel. So this was her introduction to those characters. And now she loves them dearly. You know, she was almost more infatuated with this show week to week than I was. Literally every Monday, you know, we'd watch the show Sunday night before bed. I come home from work Monday and she'd be like, hey, I want to watch more Last of Us. You know, like, sorry, we got to wait. You know, that was every week, every almost every day. It's Last of Us, Last Mm -hmm. of Us. So she loved it. You know, uh can't remember her score so i apologize for that i think she said it was a nine but it you know she typically rates things on a five point scale she's a big book reader so she reads you mm-hmm. know and rates them that way but it's either a nine or a ten so she loved it you know she loved uh ellie she loved joel but yeah that's uh top level what i think congratulations kyle i officially knight you into a very specific club that club is typically reserved for people that read manga and then they watch the anime adaptation with like a friend or a significant other or whatever the case may be. And uh, you have officially fallen into that camp with me. Welcome. You know, we we know the contents of this game and the overarching story and we get to watch a casual, you know, on the couch next to us see it for the first time unfold. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, you know, you can you can really get a lot out of that just because like i feel like like us as gamers and people that have experienced this story before potentially multiple times um to see someone's like first natural reaction like i mean that takes me back to 2013 whenever Mm -hmm. i played through it that first time you know and but like it's in a a new medium and it's it's really something to behold you know like my wife also you know i would describe as like a casual gamer she's not really like I'm the gamer in the relationship. She is usually very busy with like work and family, all of these other things. And like, typically when we watch things, a lot of the times it's like whatever I'm like trying to keep up on or like keep us informed about. Um, and uh, yeah, this was a big one that I was super excited for. Um, I think one of the biggest things that I would give this uh, specifically why I would give it a 10 versus a nine uh, specifically is is because of that reason mm. because I know that my wife is 
by no means alone in the camp of someone who like maybe you know wouldn't describe themselves as a gamer or doesn't play video games often um and has probably never experienced the last of us before but this show is something that really grabbed their attention um just the fact that like this is i i would argue is you know really the first big video game adaptation that nailed it right you know you have yeah. like a couple of small wins here and there sonic and sonic 2 the detective pikachu movie mm-hmm. uh it was also you know relatively successful and, and pretty well received um but this is i think the first one that really opened up a lot of people's eyes to it's like oh like video games actually like have story to them and th- this is uh something that you know I- i've seen plenty of people being like oh my god i'm gonna have to start like playing some of these video games because like apparently this is like n- not the only one that is like this you know there's uh, so you know the more people that we can get invested into that form of media the better that we all are for it and hopefully the better we'll be for it whenever we get our next adaptation yeah uh hopefully they put the same level of care and money <laughs> into yeah. it yeah i mean amazon has god of war you know coming so that's the next chance that we had that could be good I don't have as much faith in it as I do or did, I should say, with The Last of Us going into it because I didn't really ever have any doubts as soon, you know, as I heard it was HBO first. That was the first win. And then Craig Mazin <laughs> and then Neil Druckmann was attached to it and like everything lined up just right. And I think they did a great job. Like, I'm sure you watched the uh, the after episode, like directors talk, oh, yeah. you know, every episode we did that sure. every week and they did such a good job at like talking about the game. They made a point to refer reference the game at any point they could to show this is where it came from. This was already great. You're just seeing it now in a different medium. So they did a great job with that. I even listened to the podcast week to week that Troy Baker got to host, who was the original Joel with Craig Mazin and Neil Druckmann. So they HBO gave them so much control and creative control, all that to give a great product. And I liked the changes they made, you know, the uh, or the additions, I would say that there wasn't a whole lot of changes, but there was, you know, world building that we didn't get to see in the games. So um, before we transition to spoilers, 30 million viewers week to week is what they were averaging. That's insane. Mm -hmm. That is 30 million. That's take that for a second for a video game property. 30 million. I did the math on that the other day with like. If they had 30 million subscribers paying roughly $15 because that's what the normal like non-ad version of HBO costs, that's mm-hmm. like $400 million and some change that the show potentially you know could have made, which obviously that's not how that all works. We know that. But there, I guarantee season two gets a bigger budget. Yeah. And yeah, definitely. Especially considering, you know, what we'll get into soon Um, to put things into perspective a little bit. um, Game of Thrones uh, premiered to about uh, 10 million viewers or I'm sorry, excuse me. Uh, House of the Dragon uh, premiered to nearly 10 million viewers. Um, Game of the Thrones way back in 2011 premiered to 4.2 million um so now obviously that was a very long time ago and things have changed so much in the landscape Mm -hmm. uh but it really puts into perspective like especially with house of the dragon because that was pretty positively received yeah overall like i i thoroughly enjoyed it and it was like kind of the thing where i was like 
oh, we're back in George R. R. Martin land. Like we we've got mm-hmm. it. the The secret sauce has has not been lost. We still have the recipe. Um, and yeah, this this regularly tripled those types of numbers, and, yeah, and it it really shows. The thirty million was uh, total week numbers, not like night of. Um, I think they still mm-hmm. doubled almost, but last the Dra- or House of the Dragon was doing it was like eighteen million, twenty million, you know, sometimes, uh, or no, maybe not twenty million, but it was it was definitely eclipsing House of Dragons numbers. Uh, I do you remember do or do you know how many like Game of Thrones peaked at by week by chance? Because I feel like Ooh. in peak Game of Thrones times, like that show was being watched a ton and it was only really streamable. I guess back then HBO cable was still kind of a thing, like premium HBO. Yeah. Uh so if, a very quick Google search, so keep that in mind. It looks like uh in the Game of Thrones in the final season, it averaged 44.2 million viewers. And that was the final season. That was the climax of the series. So that's crazy because like this is a brand new show again off of a video game. I know Game of Thrones is based off of a book and it was very reminiscent and drawing those Lord of the Rings fans in because it's a much more adult style Lord of the Rings. So I I see the draw for especially over the course of eight so mm-hmm. we'll see where the, the show goes from here. They have been renewed for season two officially, and both Craig and Neil have said the, ga- the second game is more than one season. So I don't know if it'll be more than two seasons, but I think it'll at least be two seasons, um, especially with the narrative break halfway through Last of Us Part Two. I could definitely mm-hmm. see how they could do it. But it's going to be interesting to see how the medium transfers over. But uh think that's probably as a good of a time as any to transition to full spoilers because with last of us part two talk as well um that will be on the table here because we will be speculating a little bit with season two so if you haven't played last of us part two as well i would be a a little weary for spoilers on that i'll try to avoid direct things but uh yeah yeah i I would say let's probably if we can try to save our speculation for season two and like the, the events of the last of us part two, maybe towards the end of it, just because, you know, if we've got anyone that hasn't played the games, but they've watched it um, that way we can kind of give like, I, I guess a spoiler within a spoiler <laughs> review for it. Yeah. You're such a gentleman. Try to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tell it to right. my wife. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So starting with episode one, uh, what are your spoiler filled thoughts? Cause that one I think had the most, you know, changes or additions to the, the cold open right away. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about just introducing, you know, a couple of characters with Joel and his daughter, Sarah, and really just building the relationship there. You see, you know, like he's a single dad, he's, struggling to like make sure that he like remembers everything but you can tell that like his family is the most important thing um you can tell that his daughter also just like wants to take care of him you know like trying to get his watch repaired trying to you know have like a a birthday breakfast like it's they really build up the relationship and then whenever uh, they they yank that away from us. It is just it is even when you know it's coming, it is just such a gut punch, and it just it carves out your stomach and just leaves you hollow, and it leaves you so sad. And 
I think, you know, especially because episode one was a longer episode. It was like an hour and a half premiere. It was basically two episodes it of was, like a normal show. It was originally supposed to be two episodes, and they actually, yeah. the, the show was filmed as 10 episodes, aired as nine. So episode one was originally two episodes. They cut it because they didn't want to have the transition to the future without Ellie. They wanted Ellie in episode mm-hmm. one. Originally, it was supposed to end after Joel threw the bodies into the fire once they went to the future time skip. Mm, yeah, so I, I think they did a really um, I think that was very wise of them to extend the first episode to to do that. Um, also, just because, you know, they were really on a roll in episode one and you don't want to you can't you can't stop them when they're on a roll like that. Like that was that was peak storytelling, you know, video game, movie, TV show, none of that. Like that was peak storytelling period. Yeah. And, um, it really, I think helped set the tone just as you see the world, you know, going to all hell and back with, you know, that first night where, you know, they're in the truck with, uh, Tommy and Sarah and they are just trying to survive. And you see how quickly things devolve into chaos and uh it was that moment in that moment is when i realized the show was going to be special because for those who play the game when you hop in that truck you know in the game you're you're playing as sarah at the start of the last of us game so you hop in the truck and you know joel's driving and tommy's driving joel's in the car or whatever it was and you see from sarah's perspective and the way they filmed that you know they had they they posted a documentary uh, it's like 30 minutes on HBO now uh, for The Last of Us. And they showed how they filmed that scene with like a 360 camera inside the, in the truck itself. They had a full camera rig on top. Like they, they to nail that video game feel, to have that much detail into it was incredible. Yeah, definitely. And, and yeah, like the camera work too, you know, it was... It, it was very well done. You know, it, it never felt like they were like really taking you out of the scene. You know, there weren't any like egregious cuts or like crazy, awful, like shaky cam, anything like that going on. You know, you were just there in the moment panicked because, you know, if you haven't played the game, you were just like, what is going on? And it, it, it really, yeah, I think just set the tone both from a storytelling perspective and also from a production standpoint too. It's like, Oh, this is the level of quality that we are now going to expect moving forward uh, for the rest of this show. Because like, you can't, you can't back down after that, you know, like you have to (laughs) stay consistent with that type of level. And that's, you know, sometimes a lot of the time, uh, the problem that you'll see in a lot of other forms of media, whenever they can't keep up that pace or that level of quality, um, but I, I think overall, you know, we see that level of care and and love into these characters and show and like the prosthetics and effects and just everything about it. We see that carry through pretty well the, the entire show, I think. Yeah. And creepiest grandma ever award goes oh, to the grandma terrifying. from the beginning. Oh, that was the sound she made when she saw Sarah there before she started running after her. And when she fell and like collapsed and gets back up and it's all creepy and that was well, dude terrifying. even even before that whenever she was just there and like she like 
you know, they were like baking cookies or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then like, she's getting ready to leave. And you have that sort of like an eerie sound that is just kind of permeating the background. And you see the grandma in the background and not even like the focal point of the shot, but you see her in the background and you see just like the tiny little twitch of her hand. And you're just like, Oh yeah. Oh, it's starting. (laughs) And like her mouth is open. Like it's starting to take Mm -hmm. over. And, um, that was something they changed, uh, or elaborated on was, uh, you know, Sarah was invited over to this house. You know, we didn't see that in the game and they were baking cookies, you know, and uh, they were out of pancakes in the morning. So they couldn't have pancakes in the morning of the episode. So they did not have the flour that we later find out was the start of the outbreak, theoretically. And I yeah. think that no, was really nor cool. Did they, to, yeah. Well, nor, nor did they have the uh, the cake that Joel forgot yes. to pick yep. up that exactly. same night. So all those little tweaks that they made the story or additions and the fact that like they could have been infected and our story would have never happened. Um, and mm-hmm. like the theory, I thought they were going to go for for a second. I thought they were going to change it where Sarah would have been infected. Like maybe she did have that stuff. We would have found out later, but she died beforehand, you know, or mm-hmm. maybe was starting to show signs of infection and the, the military guy ends up killing her for that reason. I'm glad they didn't do that because I think the, uh, the death that Sarah had is so important to Joel you know, to take those feelings. And it's a very important moment in that, in that game and that story overall, because she was helpless. You know, she was hurt and already dying. And and Joel was asking for help to try and save his daughter. And what happens? She gets shot. And it's, yeah, I I think that, yeah, I think that definitely, I'm glad they didn't go that route either because, you know, for Joel to become who he was, you know, 20 years later after the time skip um, to be so jaded and just so dark and to have been capable of doing, you know, just like the awful unspeakable things that are kind of elaborated on throughout the course of the show, like with conversations with his brother or whatever it is, um, you know, for him to have gotten that way, like it's from a writing perspective, it's not even enough to take away his daughter, but it, it has to be that she is, like truly innocent she didn't have to die like if she were infected and then she died you know obviously he'd be heartbroken but then you know once he learns about like the infection and how it works you know as much as he'd still hate it he'd understand well you know she wasn't gonna make it out of that and you know it would take a little bit of that sting out whereas you know with this you know with her having not been infected but still just murdered for you know no real reason no justifiable reason um it it makes him that much more of a tragic character Mm. to have him be the main perspective that we have for a lot of the show for us to follow like at that point you know no matter what things he does like you can't help but feel sympathetic for him yeah you know it's one of the changes they made this is an actual change um not just an expansion is the original game was based in 2013 when the game came out. And then there was Mm -hmm. a 10 year time skip to 2023 where the rest of the story takes place. This game starts off in 2003 and has a 20 year skip. So it's a very different Joel. Uh, He's much more jaded by this point and it's a different world. You know, technology wasn't as advanced. You are living in a very fresh post nine 11 world. Sarah makes a reference, you know, right away. Is it terrorists? Because that was a year and a half ago. So like those small changes and then for them to get to later on with Bill and Frank or Riley and Ellie 
with uh, with with uh, the homosexual things in the show that they're embracing in the show and in the mm. games. But that's a very different world in 2003 versus even 2013, which is nowhere near where we are in 2023. I feel like the last 10 years have been great strides for those things. But 2003 to 2023, oof, 2003 sure. was rough. So I, I like that change. I think that really gave more levity to those characters who were you know, struggling because getting a little bit further in episode three uh, with Bill and Frank is my favorite episode of the whole show. Um, I loved it. I, I think that is a true masterpiece. 10 out of 10, no complaints whatsoever. And you have Bill's character who is, you know, a, a closet gay person who is struggling, you know, and Frank sees through him right away and you get to experience an amazing love story. You know, it, mm -hmm. it was, it was great. And uh, I have no complaints with it. For sure. Yeah. I would, I would also agree that I think episode three is the standout of the entire show. Yeah. You know, we talk about episode one being so perfect at setting the tone and, you know, putting everything into motion. Um, I think episode three is still the standout uh, by a mile of just pure storytelling. And, you know, it's I remember whenever it first came out, I saw some people on like Twitter talking about how like it didn't really service the story or it's like, Oh, it's a flashback. Like, come on, let's get back to Joel and Ellie. But it's like, no, the, the, the last of us is like the TV show at least. And I would argue the game still, it is a story about relationships between people it's and for them to be able to flush. Yeah. And for them to flush out, you know, these characters, the way that they did and give them so much more meaning and depth and just uh, again like they make you love them and then they rip your heart out <laughs> you know a little spoiler within a spoiler that's basically what happens with every single relationship mm -hmm. in this show is they make you love them they make you root for the relationship and then they gut you like a fish yeah i know uh i at the end of episode three i told my wife i was like hey this is going to be the happiest ending we get the entire show. And she's like, how? 100%. It's such a sad ending. I'm like, no, you don't understand. This is the yeah. best ending for anyone, period, in this world. Yeah. Do you see how, like, no one was, like, executed in front of the person they love? No one was, you know, randomly infected and taken away before their time? Like, no, they went out on their terms mm -hmm. and they did it peacefully, happily together. That is the quintessential storybook ending that you would hope and pray to whatever you believe in that you would get in this world at that point. Like that's, that is, that is a unicorn of an ending that yeah. you would hope and strive for. And that was another, um, another big change they made as well. Narratively from the original game deviation, uh, you know, Frank yeah. was mentioned in the game, but when Joel and Ellie get to Bill's town, which was very different in the game, was much more run down in the game. And it was very you know, crazy person, crazy traps everywhere. He was not the Bill that we see in the game. And in the game, Frank left Bill. You know, you, you were implied that they were together, but he left because he couldn't put up with Bill anymore. So in the game, we see a version of Bill that did not have Frank and continued to be this crazy old man. And in the show, who you know, we have Nick Swartzen, Ron Swanson himself, giving one of the most touching performances I've seen in my entire life as Bill fantastic and frank saved bill's life he gave him purpose he gave him love and i i think it's sad if you look at imdb and you look at the reviews of each episode 
the uh, oh, the yeah. hi- the highest reviewed episode is episode five, which is I think the second best episode. But mm-hmm. the the two lowest reviewed episodes are episode three and episode seven, which is the Bill and Frank episode at an eight out of ten, and Left Behind Riley and Ellie's episode at a seven point nine, and that's sad. I, I won't go into details, but that's just it's sad. Yeah, that's sad. That shows you know we talked about you know at least we touched on a few minutes ago how uh many strides that we've made you know in the past 10 20 years uh for certain things uh obviously we are not done we still have a long way to go and these you know like you could only describe them as review bombs um that is proof of that because those are some of the best stories some of the best episodes in the franchise you know so far and Mm -hmm. Uh, for them to get s- scored so negatively, you know, through the veil of anonymity on the internet, um, it really shows that there there is a lot more work that needs to be done because uh, both of those episodes, uh, both three and seven, um, yeah, I, I would put seven very close behind uh, three and one in terms of just feeling like you get gutted like a fish, you know, yeah. just following this poor pure little innocent girl that is just trying to survive and just everything that happens there. Yeah. It's, it's sad that this is the world that we live in. Obviously it is not as sad as the world of the last of us. Um, but it, it does show that we still need to do better. Uh, one thing I want to talk about, um, obviously, you know, we, we don't have to hit on every episode, but the, the cold open that we had for the second episode, with the uh, doctor in oh. Jakarta that they bring in. Whew. That was so well done. And I, every episode pretty much for at least a while was starting with these cold opens, elaborating on like a backstory, giving us context on what was going on. And that actress, I forget her name. Uh, I hadn't seen her in anything before, but her, the emotion she showed in her acting just by not saying anything. Like she was this doctor who researched cordyceps. And when she realized what was going on, she's like, I need to see my family now. The bombs are coming. The world is over. Let me go see my family. You know? Yeah. Well, like, especially with just like the, the way that she delivered the lines, you know, like the, the army person or whatever is like questioning her, like, okay, so like, what do we do? How do we fix this? And, you know, her answer, you know, as a scientist that studies mycology, she studies fungus and fungi. And her answer was, you have to bomb everyone. You have like that is the answer. You have to kill everyone in this city to try and hopefully stop the spread because if you don't it is the end of the world. Yeah. Like the price of one city no matter how densely populated is nothing compared to the billions of lives that will be lost and just yeah at the end where she's like they're like okay well like what do we what do we do now? And she's just like, I'd like to go be with my family. Yeah. As she has just resigned herself. Like there, that's it. This is the end. There's no getting out of this. And like that really, you know, if episode one didn't set the tone for you, the opening of episode two, I think, goes a long way to be like, oh yeah, yeah. no, this is a bad place. Well, and then the cold open for episode one, I thought really hit it home by the end of that because you had the doctor who was on Agents of Shield. I don't know if you were caught that. Um he was Oh yeah. Uh, so he was, you know, talking about cordyceps with the guy from Silicon Valley. <laughs> you know, that was a, mm-hmm. a fun pairing. And he's talking about the cordyceps. And this is based in the 60s. So it's a doctor based off of real in research based on insects and cordyceps. 
and then one guy's like, well, what happens, you know, if the cordyceps learn to evolve and live in higher body temperatures like humans? And he's like, well, if that happens, that's it. We're done. Cold open over, you know, like even, even then. Yeah. Set in like the sixties of just like a different era and a different time. They still did such a good job of like, really making the focus like it was just a, a normal interview a normal conversation that they were having at like a college campus or something that was going on but like they still had so many undertones of what was to come and how like terrifying it like had like the implications of this conversation would be and i like just yeah from the rip every th- there was so much care that was put into every scene um that i think really went a long way of of just yeah telling quality story yeah the first three episodes were such a high i feel like there i had no critiques at all in those first three episodes episode four was where it started to fall a little bit for me um before we move on to that though episode two had the introduction to clickers you know and yeah let me tell you they they killed it literally with the clickers they, they nailed it. They, the way they hired the actors to mimic the motions and the, the audio was right. The prosthetics and the makeup. It was perfect. I, I had no complaints. Yeah. Yeah. They did a really good job. You know, obviously we didn't see a whole lot of infected or clickers or like, what, what were the other ones? Like bloaters, things like that. There, there's you know, the we bloaters. Didn't see, there's also yeah. the other, the thing that was like uh, very rarely in the first game. There's more in the second. Um, they were like the stealthy uh oh your like ones which are terrifying um those were in this in this show at all and they've already been teased for season two by the showrunners but yeah they that was awesome how they handled it and then the the addition they made for the uh the cordyceps network where all these Mm -hmm. vines of fungus are connected to the infected and they can communicate miles apart like that was such a cool change they made and i think if we get a last of us part three, I bet you we see that. Definitely possible, you know, because that's actually a big change that they made going from the game to the the adaptation, because like in the game, it was spores. Mm. And so like, you know, you have the mechanic of like having to have like a mask on, not, you know, and like not venturing too far, avoiding those areas. But like realistically, like if it were airborne, there is no game. It's yeah. literally just the end of the world. There's no mm. story. There's no way that you can like plot explain your way out of that so to make that change to be more of like like just the typical zombie like you have to get infected you know it's the tendrils that get into you and they grow up in your brain um i I think was very smart Mm -hmm. um it's still you know very clearly everything went a very bad way in the show um it's also uh it's actually relatively pretty like scientifically accurate to the way that the fungi work that network that they were talking about how they can communicate like miles away and like there's just like all of those different things that's actually based in reality that's how like these ecosystems work with like fungi and different plants and things like that and like forests so to see that happen in like you know like the city and these buildings terrifying <laughs> i think that's what sets the last of us apart with the the zombie side of things is it's not it's a a real virus that exists in the real world and if this happens this is what happens like yeah bar none and i think that's what grounds it so well and at the end of the day the show isn't about the infected it's about the characters no. left behind it is a show about love and love in all forms 
you know, uh, Craig Mazin and Neil Druckmann, who, you know, were the showrunners, talked about that every week. And uh, mm-hmm. in episode two, one of the controversial things they did was when um, Tess is going out in her blaze of glory and uh, stays behind to blow up the building to buy Ellie and Joel some time. She stands there and an infected sees her, notices her that she's already bitten. She's she's already part of him. You know, she knows it's he knows it's coming, walks over and slowly leans in for a kiss. And you, this nasty tendril comes out of his mouth and goes into hers. Very uncomfortable to watch. I That was like one of those things where I could have did without it, but also it really hit home. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's it's. Yeah, it's it's not something that I would have like necessarily taken out. And I think you really hit the nail on the head. You know, it's not about, uh, you know, any really good uh, post-apocalyptic, like let's just call it what it is. You know, any good zombie show, zombie movie, anything like that, you know, typically like if you're if you're following the characters or the story of it long enough, it's no longer about the zombies. The zombies are just a backdrop. They are a setting. They are no longer the primary antagonist, man versus zombie. It is. It becomes a story of man versus man or man versus nature with zombies just happen to be in the background. Um, and, you know, obviously you can use them to execute certain plot points to move things forward, you know, every here and there. You know, we saw that really well uh, in the Henry and Sam episodes, too. Um, but, you know, the, the, it is it very much becomes a story of like man versus man. And, yeah. um, you know, and yeah, as you so eloquently put, you know, a story of relationships and love. Um, obviously, you know, with season two, we're going to see a lot of the opposite of that spectrum yeah. with a lot of like hate and, you know, anger and, and vengeance, you know, just the full spectrum of the emotional bounds within yeah. this franchise. Um, yeah. yeah, it's. It's it's uh, it's one of those things. I, I think that's actually a a good way to transition to to Henry and Sam. Oh, yeah. And uh, what, what was the name? Kathleen. Kathleen was the girl, and then I think Merle was the guy who Jeffrey Pierce played, who was Tommy from the game. Yeah, uh, I liked him. I I did not like her. Um, I thought her story fell flat. I thought the performance wasn't great. We mentioned that kind of a few weeks ago in our just normal week to week talk. But she definitely held the show back for me in a big way. I, I almost wish we could have cut her out completely, gave Merle the charge, you know, shortened up maybe episode four, maybe combine it with episode five, make that a longer episode. Because episode five is superb. I, I think that's my second favorite episode. The action was the best in the whole show. The way that episode ends is insane. You know, that entire episode is great. Sam and Henry were great. The change they made to Sam uh, being, you know, deaf, they, having a real mm-hmm. deaf actor in the show and having to learn all the ASL and everything. It was excellently done. That was my wife's favorite episode. And she loved it. And I thought overall it was excellent. Yeah, it was it definitely also. Yeah, I would. I I don't know if I'd give it like a, a perfect 10. You know, I typically just do a 10 point scale. I don't really do like the 20 point. Um, but like if I were to do a 20 point, this is like a 9.5 versus yeah, like episode three's 10 for me. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, just like what an episode, dude. Like, I, Cause again, like you, you see, you know, it, it's essentially, you know, a mirror with Henry and Sam, like acting as a, a mirrored or like a foiled version of Joel and Ellie, you know, like what they needed to rely on each other. And even though it's not as much 
you know, at that point, you know, you, you start to see the relationship start to form with between Joel and Ellie, you know, Joel, who's not ready to open up Ellie, who's, you know, afraid of opening up because everyone she's ever opened up to gets, you know, yeah, unalived. And, uh, uh, but then you see the, the mirror of that with Henry and Sam as brothers and, you know, who just like, they're always, they always have each other's backs and like, they, they love each other so much. And to see that relationship and you see how those four characters then interact with each other, I think was so beautifully and masterfully done. Um, I don't hate Kathleen's character as much as you do. I definitely would agree that she was like one of the weaker points of yeah. it. Um, I, I think some of that probably just comes into like, like you can't have, you know, like not every villain that they come across is going to be a David, right? Yeah. You know, like they can't all be like this, like just like, like, cause this was, uh, I, if I remember correctly, it was adapted a few different ways. Like it's the, not a, the same city. Yeah. These are mostly like nameless dudes. Like yep. you don't really find out like what their deal is in the game. They're just obstacles that you need to sneak by and shoot through in order to progress the plot of the story. So them flushing this out, you know, obviously they did a little bit of that. Like they're overthrowing Fedra or whoever the Nazis are uh, there. Uh, yeah. And, you know, it's, you know, it's arguably even worse than the system that they had in place because the person in charge, Kathleen, is a tyrant. Uh, and yeah, but they gave a reason, like, I think the world of the last of us is so interesting and so gray, not black and white because they tell you like Fedra was raping and murdering and all these things like they weren't good. So they overthrew them because they were even worse than they were. So it, it, who knows who's right or wrong? Yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, I think it really, I mean, this show it, like this entire thing is a, uh, just like a, a giant, like 10 hour lesson in, uh, you know, that there's no black and white, only shades of gray, you yeah. know, like a good person can do bad things for good reasons and vice versa. And every version of those words that you interchange with the other, it is, you know, some people are just straight up pure evil. We'll get to David in a, a few minutes. Uh, yeah. and, but then, you know, it's, it's, it's really a story, you know, like depending on like the characters that they interact with, how our main characters, how they deal with that, whether they're dealing with a good person who does something wrong for a good reason, like Henry and Sam, or, you know, a bad person who is doing a good thing, but for very wrong reasons, like uh, the uh, character David and like his little commune of, of uh, cult people. Um, you know, you know, like obviously terrible person, but like he was keeping that community alive and together. Mm -hmm. So, but like not for altruistic purposes at all. So it's, 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 it's very complicated and complex, which is so important because that's how life is, mm -hmm. you know, like most people are varying shades of gray. They're not all good or all bad. Obviously there are some exceptions to the rule. But generally speaking, you know, like 90 something plus percent of the population is a form of gray. And I yep. think they do a good job in this series as a whole of like showing that, but then also showing opposite ends of the spectrum with, you know, like how hateful and evil a person can become. And like also like how good still a person can become or try to stay or remain. 
Yeah, that's that's the crux of this whole story and why I think The Last of Us is so special. And I'm glad, again, 30 million plus people now know that as well. I really want to get to David, but before we get to David, we got to talk about end of episode five. Um, the big yeah. action set piece for the entire show, I think. Um, the horde of zombies. First, actually, you get the awesomely done chase scene with Ellie, Sam, and Henry running from you know essentially a snowplow plowing through the subdivision streets as Joel is trying to snipe them out and then infected show up. And even though these people in... Uh, Boston, not Boston. Uh, what city were they in for this? Kansas City. I think it was like Kansas. Yeah. Kansas City, I think. So they had they're fully loaded. Like they're up full on military, essentially, with their machine guns and auto rifles and all that. Way too many infected to deal with. And they get mauled yeah. over. You see some awesome deaths, some great effects. We see our first bloater, like the, the creepiest kid ever that's infected. Oh, dude, that yeah, the child. That one. That one, that's one that'll noodle around with you upstairs yeah. at night when you're trying to go to sleep. That's yeah, my wife you want to talk. Oh, yeah, it's it's, it's so well done. And like uh, with the actors and like the way that they had like the spastic movements and like the, the jerky, you know, almost like you'd think it were all animated, even though it's not. You know, they had all of those people there in costume and makeup and everything. But like they did such a good job of like showing how like inhuman the the infected and clickers and everything like that are of just being like oh yeah no this is not man versus man these are something else entirely these yeah. are and yeah like they these guys were like armed to the teeth and it did not matter because it, it, it like you know when you're dealing with like a horde of infected or clickers zombies whatever you know it, it you're no longer facing a horde of something you're facing a force of nature yeah you can't punch a tornado <laughs> you know you yeah. can't kick an earthquake and expect to win and like that's they really showed really well in that episode it's like yeah it like if you're dealing with a horde you know like with like some of these it really puts into perspective if you think about like some of the cities that fell most yeah. of the cities that fell what that would have looked like yeah and like how chaotic and awful that would have been one of my um, favorite moments of the whole show happened right before that uh when joel they were getting shot at at this house so joel snuck around very video gaming that was one of like the, the best interpretations of video game stealth in the whole game so joel oh, sneaks to it yeah <laughs> sorry about that <laughs> but he sneaks okay. into this house and you see this old man with a sniper rifle and joel has his gun pointed at him he's like don't make me do it, please. You you see, mm -hmm. Joel doesn't want to, but he knows he has to kill this guy. Because if he doesn't, he's going to radio ahead. And so he kills him. And I thought that was a great character moment for Joel. Showing, for one, he's done this before. He's been on the other side of that. Like, he knows what it's like. And to show that he still does care about people. He doesn't want to have to kill. He doesn't have to. He gave that guy the chance. But he knew he wasn't going to take it. I would even argue that he only gave him a chance because of the relationship that had started building with Ellie, that he yep. was starting to yep. like see a little bit more of like the good in people wanting to give people more of a chance. And then uh, especially with like Henry and Sam too, yep. of like, you know, I, I feel like had this, had he been on his own or with Tess and they were just like trying to smuggle through, he wouldn't have given him the the yeah. chance or the option. He's like, Hey, just put the gun down. Mm -hmm. Don't radio for help. And you'll live. He would have just gone in 
executed him, no, there would have been no dialogue. There would well, have been no hesitation. And this was right after Ellie saved him. So this is the first yeah. change you see in Joel, who he becomes eventually. It's the very mm-hmm. first seat of it, which was, I thought they did a really good job. Um, ending the episode with Sam and Henry, though, my wife was oh. very shocked how that all went down. She thought they were going to be with us the rest of the show. You know, she's like, oh, I'm like, yeah, that's what they make you think in the game, too. You're like, oh, cool. Some new squad to join our team. Here we go. Force to be reckoned with now. And then the tragic ending that happens with Sam and Henry, you know, Henry having to kill his little brother because he got infected after Ellie tried saving him with her blood. It just it was so well done and so heartbreaking. Um, the actor who played Henry, phenomenal. Killed it. Yeah. hundred percent. Quite literally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, it's uh, w- one thing to take a little bit of a step away from the, just like the contents of the show. One thing that I really love about like the big giant, like HBO tent pole, Hey, you should buy HBO because we have X show. Um, One of the things that I love the most about them is that, you know, a lot of times they will get smaller actors Mm -hmm. to fill out these roles. You know, they're not getting like Brad Pitt or, (laughs) uh, you know, Angelina Jolie. They're not getting people that you recognize as, oh, it's literally just this actor in this role. It's not Tom Cruise. They get people like, um, what was his name? Like Patty uh, Constantine. Constantine for House of the Dragon playing Viserys like they get you know and like a lot of times they're still actors they'll still have some roles here and there but they usually like they're never household names I think this is probably the closest we've ever gotten to getting a household name with Pedro Pascal as the lead role um and it's it's one of those things where um they do such a good job of like finding these like smaller actors and giving them so much to work with um I I hope that, you know, these actors that we see, you know, Henry and Sam and all of these others, you know, I hope we see more of them in other projects moving forward, whether it be television or uh, home box office or movies mm-hmm. or just whatever they want to do, because, it, you know, like, I, I hope that this is, you know, just everyone involves big break. You know, like, I hope this just yeah. opens the door because, like, I mean, HBO itself is like the big break for both. uh what's her name, Bella Ramsey and Pedro Pascal. They both got their start on Game of Thrones. And like, you know, obviously Pedro Pascal has captured the hearts of America between, you know, the Mandalorian and Galaxy Far, Far Away. So many things. Across a bunch of mediums now. Yeah. And it's, he's, he's, he's always a treat to watch. Like the, the unbearable weight of massive talent, just like, come on, just there. He's, he's delightful. And, uh, you know, Bella Ramsey also just really just the acting for her as Ellie, you know, it's I- I'm personally always worried whenever you have um, adolescents of really any age having to carry a lot of the acting work in anything. Obviously, I'm pretty sure she's like 19. So like no, she's she's, she's not even like a child 18. Yeah. yeah. So she's not even like a child. You know, she is you know, legally an adult, she's been around the block. Um, but again, this is one of like the, her first, like real big things outside of game of Thrones, which is a relatively smaller part. Um, and like, man, she just, you know, everyone killed it in terms of like acting pretty well, but like her acting, I think it, it's above and beyond what I would have expected. And it it services the show so well, you know, obviously, 
with season two, probably a year or two from now, like it's, it's very much a transition from like Joel and Ellie being the main characters to, you know, like kind of swapping and Ellie being that front running character that is yeah. the main character. Um, She's and got so, a like, lot you know, on her shoulders to, to do for season two. For sure. But after watching season one, even just a couple episodes of season one, um, I don't have any sort of like fear or hesitation. You know, I completely trust Bella Ramsey. She killed it in this role in every single scene that she was in. Um, you know, she made you feel exactly what they want you to feel just the whole ride. And um, I, I think that's really a testament to the showrunner and, you know, like the casting director and everything like that for the people that they get into, into these shows. They kill it, you know. All right. Uh, well, so we just had some technical issues. Um, our recording stopped mm -hmm. after us trying to end the show here. So I apologize if there's any gaps there for the uh, the ending. but. Um, basically what we were saying is we're excited to see where things go from here. Um, we want to hear what you have to say about the show and, uh, we'll be back next week to talk about a bunch of other things because this episode was taken over by the last of us. So we have a bunch of things to talk about next week and I'm looking forward to it. So, uh, I did say also, um, we do have some music coming for our intro and stuff, which, uh, is exciting. The quality should be better this week with the audio barring that it actually worked, you know, because we seem to be having some technical difficulties here. So hopefully we'll get those ironed out for next week and uh, it'll be good to go. Those are some bold statements that you, you got the second yeah. chance to take back the promise of I did. music yeah, and then we'll, you still put it out there. We'll see. We'll see if we'll it pays see. off. I'll make some phone calls and see how it's going. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So until next time, uh, same bat time, same bat channel, right? Do 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 do